Welcome to Solutions from the Huddle, powered by Collaborative Solutions Group. We're discussing meaningful business and life topics to add motivation to your life and value to your efforts. Our show is hosted by certified professional CSG coaches who are often hired for private coaching, corporate training, and speaking engagements. Now, enjoy the show. This is Solution from the Huddle, and I am still your host, Titus Bartolotta. Man, I am really thrilled. Listen, the last couple of shows have been so good. Um, I don't know where you are in your listening journey. For all of you that keep listening to the show, we're so grateful. There's just there's just so many of you um, and from all over the, the country, all over the planet. It's weird that folks I've never met continue to click buttons to listen to me talk to other people that they probably don't know. Uh, but here's what I think they do know. I think that they have bought into this premise that says um, the direction and guidance and insight and hope and motivation and, and shared experiences are part of the equation that helps me go from where I am to where the heck I want to go. And so we have another show for you today uh, on Solutions from the Huddle, which is powered by Collaborative Solutions Group to, to help with that endeavor. And we've got a really great guest today, and I'm, I'm so excited. You know that we we don't let um, half-baked um, chicken come out of the uh, oven. We, we don't let half-baked cookies make it onto your plate. We don't let half of, of a guest make it to your ears. Today, we have the real deal. We have a really full experience for you. But we start every show the same way, so we'd like to do it this time as well, uh, and that's in prayer. So here we go. Lord, we ask that you bless the show, our guests, our, our show sponsors and partners, just everyone and everything involved. Let the, the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Okay, friends. So we have got uh, a new friend, I hope a best friend. We'll see how this interview goes, but we've got Mark Willis. Uh, He works with people who want to build real wealth and become financially set for life. He can help you bank on yourself. We're talking about a true financial advisor, a certified individual with so many uh, real world experiences. He's a multi-time number one best-selling author, and he's got so much insight to give. So if you're a financial person, if you're an individual who's looking to level up, if you're a business owner, uh, the stuff that we're going to learn from Mark today is is noteworthy. I can already tell you that. Mark, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so happy to have you here. Titus, I'm glad to be on. Thank you. It's a real honor, privilege. I hope we'll be able to um, uh, kill some sacred cows, tip over some sacred cows, whatever we want to do here and have some fun. I love it. Hey, listen, you guys can't see the video. Me and me and uh, Mark are looking at each other. You're only going to hear the audio, but we share the same haircut um, uh, stylist. I think both of us are yeah. bald brothers. I That's love right. this. This is awesome. That's right. Um, he's a he's definitely a traveling barber. That's for sure. Yes, I think you're in right. North Carolina, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm up here in the Windy City, Chicago land area. So that guy really gets it. around, I guess. Yeah, he does. I love it. <laughs> Mark, tell us a little about your journey. I, I love to start there. So many guests want to just get right into all their strategy and tips and the value adds because because we're so blessed that great, smart, awesome people that have something to say actually come do the show. Um, but you, before you get into all the, the stuff that the folks need to take note of, uh, just I want to know about you. Just give us your journey. Where did you come from? How did you go from the, the young version to the young adult version to the guy that is, is sought after today? Well, I want to take you back to uh, my first experience with banks. 
And you guys might experience something like this too, where you collect a little coin and pennies and dollars and so forth. I had a little paper bag. I kept it in my top drawer of my, uh, of my chest of drawers. And I was able through a, uh, allowance and, and you know, other little projects to collect $50, a whole 50 bucks. I was like six, seven years old, whatever. Wow. So I had this money saved up. And at that point, I was able to open up a checking account. So my mom, uh, wanting to teach me about money, uh, says we're going to the bank. And I kind of said, well, that's fun because that's where they shoot the money into, into those tubes and you just get money out of, uh, out of that yeah. bank, right? That's, that's cool. I'm going to go get some money. I thought yeah. I, was gonna win, I was winning the lottery here, but <laughs> I was sadly mistaken. Uh, the project that my mom had in mind was for me, little kid, to hand over my life savings to some stranger and to watch it disappear into their vault, quote unquote vault. And uh, as I realized the outcome of our errand, I was very concerned. Uh, what was this guy going to do with my hard-earned money? He didn't do anything to earn that. I had been the guy sweating, you know, sweating bullets as I was you know, scraping the bathroom floor with the toothbrush, that sort of thing. So uh, little did I know how accurate my concern was. <laughs> you, know, you think as you grow up, oh, well, that's just naivete, uh, that banks are really safe places to keep money. The more I've done due diligence into the banking system, now as a young adult and now as an adult and as a business owner myself, um, I, I have participated in the banking system, but my goal and my dream for our clients across this country are to help people fire their banker and become their own source of financing. Because I believe that banking is going to persist in our life forever, but banks, mega banks, whatever, are the problem that cause so many of the trials and tribulations that we see American families and uh, you know, around the world experiencing. Uh, so that's a bit about my mission, my background. Uh, I, I ended up with a college degree, uh, three of them between my wife and I, and $120,000 in student loan debt. Now, Ooh. whether we realize it or not, Titus, that is participating with the banks. You know, so now not only yeah. do I not have my $50 in my pocket, but I'm in debt to those same banks. Uh, in fact, I heard the other day that the average high school graduate has a higher net worth than college graduates. And that's oh, because wow. of student loan debt. I heard the other day yeah. too, that the number one asset that, that the US government has on their balance sheet is the student loan debt that, that they carry on us. Well, wow. Think about that for a minute. The, the number one asset of the US government are the debts that we all owe to that government. That should at least cause us to wake up and kind of pay attention. So that's a, a bit about our, my background, our journey, my wife and I, and thankfully, gracefully through God, we've been able to find freedom from some of that. Uh, and we found a better way to live financially free and uh, become, by becoming our own source of financing. Wow. Uh, you know, it sounds as though the awareness that you had which probably gave way to, to influencing so many of the decisions that you would, you would go on to make. But it sounds like that awareness came maybe earlier than what we all maybe in this generation see as the financial awakening of the 2008 situation. Um, it sounds like you maybe started to have that prior to that, but how did you respond being a person this minded, this experienced, and now obviously doing what you do with with money specifically and directly, how did you respond in that 2008 crisis when so many people uh, lost everything financially? Well, and it's happening all over again. You know, it seems like the the once in a lifetime crises seem to come every 10 years now, give or take, or or, or more frequent even uh, as we go through this pandemic and the out uh, the um, the ramifications of unemployment and and more. 
Uh, but boy, it's, we're not done with volatility. You know, but uh, taking us back for a quick minute, 2008 was a harrowing experience. I was working for a CPA at the time, and I was you know rosy cheeked out of college, ready to get started, make a difference in the world. Uh, and I was partnering up with a CPA mostly to help out with tax prep for her. And she was a wonderful nationally recognized CPA. She did a lot of investment management for folks as well. But I remember those days. I remember when she would make the phone call to the 62-year-old client saying, I'm sorry, Mr. Client, you can't retire. You can't retire now. I just lost mm-hmm. you a half your, your life savings. And I didn't make the connection at the time. It's funny how memory kind of helps us make connections that we wouldn't have seen. But that was not unlike the feeling I had when I gave that paper bag of money to that banker all those many years yeah. ago. Uh, losing money at age 62 is not the same thing as losing money when you're 22. Yeah. Uh, because when you're 62 years old, you don't have a year, 10 years, whatever, to, to get that money back. And here's the myth. Most people think, well, if I just buy and hold, I'll be able to ride out any storm. I've got time. You know, The truth is, any loss of money is completely unacceptable. Here's why. If I lost, um, let, let's see, if I lost 50% of my money, which is what happened to many people in 2008, if they were tied to the S&P 500, it lost 47% in 2008. So what would it take to get back what we lost, as the, the old saying goes, to hold on? You know, They always tell you that the mainstream oh-so-average media would tell you to just hold on, don't look at that 401k. Um, it's not, I mean, Titus, I hate to say this, but it's not unlike an abusive relationship. You know, mm. uh, don't look at it when it's hurting you, just ignore it. It's your fault. Wow. You're in your, and you're in this position. Um, you know, that, you know, it's, it's, it'll always come back. I mean, these are statements that I don't want to make about um, people. And I certainly don't want it to be made about people, but I shouldn't need to think about that in terms of my own retirement. So, yeah. anyway, if I lost half of my life savings, I think my, my kind of man on the street mentality is to say, oh, well, I just need to get 50% back. I just need to get what I lost. Back. I lost 50%. I need 50% to get back. The truth is I'd need 100% gains to break even. And that's true. If you lost 10%, you'd need 11% to break even. If you lost 25%, you'd need 37% to break even. So the, the trouble is the down years hurt us more than the good years help us. And so when 2008 hit, and again, now as many people have lost their jobs, lost their number one asset, which is their income, uh, as they've all lost many things, we've all lost many things this last year, God forbid that it continue, uh, then we've got to have more to make up for it. And too often, many of us think that oh, just breaking even is, is going to be good enough. And uh, it's just, it's not acceptable to lose money, especially when time is not on our side. Yeah. You know, I think that is... Um so insightful and and the truth is you know i've heard it said and and it's it's so refreshing is that broke um you know in terms of financially when people say i'm broke you know that that that's really more than just a a line item or or an awareness of your your statement it's a it's a mindset right but the the truth of the matter is is we kind of have this mindset mark around economics that says it's like this race to the bottom right? This race to mediocrity. We take this average, right? Even when you look at like what an average person makes, why we would want to aspire to anything that's average is so weird to me. Like I have, I have young children. I can't remember the last time I was like, Hey guys, huddle up (laughs) to my eight year old, six year old. I want you guys to aim for average today. Like I don't ever give that advice, but 
somewhere along the lines, Mark, we get trained or conditioned, don't we? Where it's just like, economically, we're like, okay with mediocrity. We're okay with, with this, this average mm-hmm. thing. And then if a crisis comes, average isn't enough to offset crisis. I mean, that's kind of what I hear yeah. like what you're saying. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Yeah. So, uh, and, and average is not good in any area of my life. Um, you know, um, marriage, health, uh, and what is average? Um, let's talk about the myth of average. So we are already, I guess, tipping over some sacred cows. Sorry to let's do it. To jump. But yeah, the myth of average. It's just like Sesame Street. Just like Sesame says, you know, no one is. Everyone's unique, right? Um, and no one is average. Um, let's say a thousand houses in in your city are going to burn down this year. Um, that that means, you know. Uh, out of a hundred thousand or a million homes in, in all, a thousand are going to burn down. That's one percent uh, are going to burn down. That doesn't mean that one percent of all of our houses are going to burn down this year. No, it's either all burned down or not burned down, right? It's not like all of us get an average return. Uh, right. There's an old That's phrase: uh, you don't want to, you know. It's it's the old it's the old saying about the six foot man who drowned in an eight foot pool on average. Mm. All right. So if, if you're six feet That's tall good. and the pool is on average five feet deep, you can still drown, can't you? Because why? Because averages mean nothing. I'll give you an yeah. example for how this works with your 401ks and IRAs or any brokerage account. Titus, let's say that um, you invested some money with me and you gave me, let's just say 10,000 bucks to invest in the market. And I do a great job for you this year. I mean, I blow the doors off. I double your money. I give you a hundred percent rate of return in the first year, that means your $10,000 went up to 20,000 bucks. So far, so good. You're loving life and you want to keep the money with me because I just knocked the, the, the doors off that. So we start year two with 20,000 bucks. Okay. Now I lose you half of your life savings. We, we have a negative 50% return in year two. What happened? Your 20,000 bucks came back down to the original $10,000, right? Do you feel any wealthier two years in? Mm, no. No. Yeah. You're, you got the same money you started with, but here's what I get to advertise. According to SEC, any investment advisor may al- is allowed to advertise an average return. So what was your average return? Well, zero, right? Is kind of what you actually got. Zero. Sure. You didn't have any, but your average but return. The average. Yeah. 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 You got it, man. Was 25%. 100 Minus 50 divided by two years is an average return of 25%. Now, most stock years are not that extreme, but here's the reality. Uh, The market from 2000 to 2019 did an average return of 8%. That sounds pretty good. 8%, I'll take that. But the real investors, according to third-party research, this is according to Dalbar's quantitative analysis of investor behavior, the real return was 3.8%, not 8%. And most, oh man, yeah. Most financial advisors are planning for their clients and making assumptions for their clients as if 8% is just going to be, you can fall off a log and get 8%. And that means, hey, you don't have to work quite as hard. You don't have to save quite as much. You can retire at age 59. Um, You know, you can afford to take a little more risk. You know, you don't have to save quite as much. These are all things that are baked into the average, as you said, the average financial plan. 
And uh, my podcast is called Not Your Average Financial Podcast for this very reason. So you got me off my soapbox, finally. Yeah. No, I love it. We're talking with Mark Willis right here on Solutions from the Huddle, a certified financial planner uh, that hosts his own show that's a a best-selling, multi-time best-selling author. And we're talking about um, this this ridiculousness of averages and... um, and no matter how you square it up, I just can't imagine that it ought to be the the epicenter, the 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 crux of how we go to market or go to life in any capacity. And and you know the truth of the matter is, is any financial planner or advisor or investor or banker, anybody on the planet, who cares if it's money or turn it into to candy? Anybody that says I can return at a twenty five percent rate, I mean, you're ready to go in business. This is easy math. You don't need a scientific calculator for those decisions. We say yes to that, but in reality. Um, there is so much behind the curtain for those numbers. And that's why we want to have you on the program. Um, A lot of our listeners are solopreneurs. These are individuals that said, you know what? I have a dream. I'm going to start a business. Um, And and what I've come to know, Mark, and I want to get your perspective on this, is that uh, as a business coach, I deal with so many people that said, I'm tired of making 20 bucks an hour when we charge the customer a hundred bucks an hour for an hour of me to go out and turn a wrench or to service their air conditioning unit. So I know what I'll do. I'll just start my own business. That way I get to have the whole $100 an hour. Mm-hmm. And so, so many individuals, I, I'm a big believer in starting, creating entrepreneurship, <clears throat> but I think that there's this, this myth, right? Let's keep knocking over some more myths. Of I'll just start if I just start my own thing, it's definitely going to be a financial advantage, and it may be because they don't have someone like you that says uh, I probably need a little handholding to, to make sure that the finances are secure and there's this foundation. What do you say? And what do you think about so many entrepreneurs or professional people that say I did this back of a napkin uh, uh, equation, right? <laughs> like this quick math. And I don't really need a mark. Like I got to figure it out. I know the math. I'm going to put myself into what is in many cases, massive financial debt. Um, And what I think, and then I'm going to get off my soapbox. What part of what you said a moment ago, I don't think we use the terminology, but opportunity cost Mm -hmm. is really what you were talking about. And so not only do I quit my job and no longer have the income and the opportunity, I go into debt to start a business. It's like burning the candle at both ends. And then, oh, by the way, I didn't ask Mark to be a part of that. So I don't have, I don't have a strategy and I don't have a a shepherd to walk me through the passage, uh, the, 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 the dark areas. Mark, what in the world do you have to say for those folks out there right now that do that every single day? Well, I I love the metaphor of shepherd and I love the concept of coach. And, you know, one of the things that I've always said to our clients when we sit down and have one-on-one Zoom calls or phone calls with our clients, when we're looking over their financial situation, sometimes I'll ask them sort of, hey, you know, who are, who's on your financial team? Uh, What, who is your estate planning attorney? Who's your investment advisor? Who's your insurance guy or gal? Um, you know the 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 team, the real team, and maybe they have somebody, maybe they don't. And I'll ask them, hey, you know, when you shared with them your concerns that you've been sharing with me for the last forty five minutes, uh, as we've been kind of diving into sort of your financial situation, when you shared all of that with them, what was their plan for you? And they look at me, kind of like a cow looking at a new gate, saying. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. You know, they just sort of <laughs> scratched together an insurance deal for me, or put put my uh, money into a bunch of you know retail investment grade uh, uh, mutual funds, uh, and they just don't know. They don't know what it means to have a team, or or even better, a coach 
they have what's like, what I call a financial guru, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, and a financial guru you, you could listen to uh, and maybe pick up this or that on YouTube, but that's different than a team member a member of your team. And I'll distinguish this between the word educate and the word educe. And so, you know, educate, maybe that's, that's got a lot of positive connotations. You know, you can be educated by this podcast that we're listening to right now or any radio show or anything else. And there's nothing wrong with being educated. In fact, it's really good. Um, but the, the other side of the equation, I think the real, the coach uh, relationship, and this is your area of expertise, Titus, so I'll let you speak to this, but Part of coaching is educing, and that means to draw out, to draw out some, something that's latent or potential within the other person. And so it's not just about pouring in. We got to do that. You know, my daughter's not just going to have the alphabet educed out of her. You know, we got to teach her some things. But then there's also the adduction process uh, where you can draw out from them what's really powerfully center to their desire. What do you want your money to do for you? What's important about money for you right now? Because maybe it's different than getting a 401k. And if you're a solopreneur, last time I checked, 401ks don't just land in your lap when you start your business. So you got to start asking yourself, and it's one of the powerful privileges of being a wonderful, a wonderful entrepreneur is getting to ask these sort of questions, the questions that most of us spend our whole life desperately trying to avoid asking ourselves. Questions like, what do you want your money doing for you? Now, that's a question you could spend an hour in a journal filling pages. What do you want your money truly doing? Because, you know, guys, at the end of the day, where you put your money makes it act different. A 401k is different than putting your money on your mortgage or putting it into a savings account or a paper bag like I did when I was six years old. You know, where you keep your money makes it act different. So if you're putting money in places that, don't align with your values or your characteristics you're wishing, you're going to have stress. There's cognitive dissonance, you know, like maybe I want a six, maybe I want a six pack of of abs, you know, but I also really want to eat ice cream. And so those two things have cognitive dissonance. And so if I've got money in places that don't align with my desire, like, let's say if I, if I've got all my money in my 401k, sorry to to rant on the 401k today, but if I got all my money in a 401k and I have an emergency, then I got to go to a bank to get a credit card or, or a line of credit for my business, don't I? But if it's liquid, it, you know, if I had a liquid fund, a big pool of contingency cash, then not only could I take care of that emergency, but I could take advantage of op- business opportunities, buy some inventory when it's on sale, you know, do a marketing campaign. So the you know, point is, you know, when you're thinking about who you're going to team up with, uh, there are two sides of the horse to fall off. You could just you know, fall, you know, chase after the, the latest financial guru and just use the four most dangerous words in the financial universe, which in, in my words are do it for me. Those are the four most dangerous words in the financial universe. Do it for me. The other side of the, the, the horse you could fall off is to think you could do it all by yourself and don't need any advice from anybody else and don't need important um, and, and onion peeling questions that help educe the true nature of what you want out of you. Sometimes we just don't know the unknowns. You know, we don't know where the bear traps are. And that's what a good coach can help you discover. Yeah. I mean, really what I love about this is uh, one of the notes that I just took and, and, and I always encourage our listeners, you know, um, you ought to not li- listen to this show 
just because you want to be entertained or motivated. That happens. We've got a lot of episodes. Some some of the guests are just, you know, they'll share their their experience of uh, coming out of a burning home or, or or just you know winning a Super Bowl. We've had we've had athletes, um, and that can be motivational or that could be um, entertaining. Um, and, and in this case, I think it's it's entertaining, it's motivational, it's also insightful. Uh, but I always encourage folks like take advantage of the pause and rewind button, right? I mean, there's so many nuggets in in what we just unpacked and, and what Mark is talking about here. But one of the things I wrote down, Mark, is that money or people. I don't know if that's exactly what you intended to say, but what I took from that, and I'd love to go deeper on it, is. Um, where you put your money causes attack differently. I know that when I go to church, I act a little differently than when I go to the grocery store. I'm just different. I wear different clothing. I know that I'm different in my home than I am in a place maybe where I'm less comfortable. Um, I know when there's a high stressful, uh, scary place, the way I respond is different than when I'm not. And so I wonder how many people out in the world, professionally, personally say, my dollars are people. I ought to respect them, honor them, pay attention to them know where they're at. You know, I'm responsible for them and I ought to put them in places where they grow. Uh, mm, I've never seen yeah. an apple tree grow when we drop the seed on concrete. I just don't see it. It's cute to see the Google photos of a little tiny bush growing out of cement, right? It's very motivational. We, we There's normally taglines that say you can grow anywhere, things like that. That's really beautiful, but it's, it, it, it's one in a billion, right? I mean, the, the normal law is that apple mm-hmm. seeds yeah. are interested in dirt. <laughs> they, yeah. they would mm-hmm. like to be in dirt, not concrete. And you're talking about where we put our money has a massive impact on how the money responds and how it acts. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I wrote down money or people. Am I crazy or was I picking up what you were putting down? No, I, I think that's really wise. In fact, money and people have a lot in common. Uh, and it's funny how, you know, we, you know, as people of faith, you know, Jesus talked more about money than any other topic except the kingdom of God. Uh, so this thing, money, this money thing, uh, I, I believe we have a relationship with money, strange as that might sound, and it can be healthy or it can be unhealthy. And I think how we treat our peop- uh, our money is how we treat our people and vice versa. In fact, um, you, you know, you could take your metaphor of, of uh, money and people and kind of take it further. You know, you could say, you know, you want, you want to multiply, well, you want your money to multiply. You want to have regular access to your money, well, you want to have regular access to the cherished relationships you have in life. Uh, and so there's a lot that you could talk about there and opportunity cost. You know, if you have a friendship that's always pulling you down, uh, then you've, you've given up a good friendship that could be helping you flourish and grow. Oh. And so you're right. There's a, there's a long way you could go. You and I could write a book about that. I think Yeah, <laughs> sounds like yeah. Titus. There's no doubt. I, I think that if you're, if I'm an, if I'm an entrepreneur, I'm looking for two or three tips or strategies that somebody could give me to help me uh, maintain healthy relationships financially and maybe avoid some toxic relationships financially. Mm, yep. um, I would imagine in your box of, of tools and strategies and tips, you probably have many of those. If you were to pull out one or two of the most useful tools that our listeners could take away and say, this is a tool that's going to help me uh, either maintain or increase the healthy relationships financially. Uh, and maybe here's another one or two. So, so four mm-hmm. total, but one or two tools that I can use to help avoid uh, or, or detach currently from a toxic financial relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, 
what might those be? What notes yeah. might we take on that subject, Mark? Well, we, we don't have forever on this episode, I realize. So I'm going to try to distill down as much as I can for your listeners. And it's going to be like concentrated orange juice. Uh, so you're right about the, re, the, the you know, skip back button or the rewind button. Um, you know, I'd say the most toxic relationship we, m- the average American has in our financial life is our relationship to the banks. And I'm going to say that, and it's sort of a bold opinion, I realize, but the average American spends a third, 37% of their income servicing their debts. That's a third of our day. If time is money, Titus, what is a third of your day? Servicing debt. And I said averages and no one's average. That means if you guys have less than a third of your money going to banks, somebody else has even more to get that average. Okay. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about credit cards and I'm talking about mortgages and student loans and and, uh, car loans. Those are the scourge of the middle class right there. And we all have these very low interest rates right now. And we all think that's a good thing. But banks love low interest rate environments. Why? Because what they don't get on interest, they make up for in volume. What they don't get in interest rates, they make up for in volume. So it's not, think of it like food. When it comes to interest, uh, interest is sort of like food. It's not the rate by which I eat my lunch, it's the volume that'll kill me. Mm. Okay. So the volume of interest is really what's killing most Americans. And so, you know, if I'm, if I'm looking at the low interest rates of somebody's credit cards and car loans, but then we sum total how much is actually servicing all of our lifestyle and debt payments and, and more, plus let's throw on the, uh, the internal revenue service and, and more, that might be half of our day gone before we're truly working for ourselves. We might think we're a solopreneur, you know, like, like John Wayne out, out in the West, you know, working for ourselves. But really, we're, we're in debt up to our eyeballs and we're having to manage the, the, the many creditors or equity partners in our business that are silent. You know, you have a silent partner and his name is Uncle Sam in your business. You have a silent partner, his name is JP Morgan or whoever, Capital One or, or any of their cronies. So if I could like find one small hinge that could swing the biggest door in most entrepreneurs' life, it would be to become the answer to the problem that we seek. So the problem is banks. The solution is self-banking. I don't just mean paying cash for things. I don't just mean holding your money in my paper, paper bag like my five-year-old self did. I'm talking about becoming the bank, becoming your own source of financing, to fire your banker and to bring back the banking function in your family's life and in your business's life. Think of it this way. You know, if I finance a car, with a car loan, I'm losing interest to that bank. And you know, they've got me on their hook. You know, I've got to pay them 500, 800 bucks a month, whatever the number is. That's a problem number one. Problem number two is thinking that cash is the answer. And here's back to opportunity cost, Titus. If I pay cash for that car, let's say the car was 30,000 bucks. If I paid $30,000 for a car, and I pulled it out of my savings account or checking account or money market account or anywhere, how much interest am I now earning on money I took out of my savings account? Zero, right? Zero. Yeah. And yeah. I'm also losing whatever I could have earned on that money had I left it invested, not bought the car mm. and just left that money invested. If you do the math on that, and I don't know if anybody has, but if you do the math on that, if you buy eight cars over your lifetime, if you're earning like a reasonable single digit, middle single digit return on that savings account, 
that's $900,000 over your lifetime. If you're age 35 to age 85, when you pass away, that's eight cars buying you 900 grand you didn't have if you had just ridden shotgun your entire life, right? So buying cars with cash is not the answer. Cars is one thing, but now you throw on a couple of kids' college funds, you throw on a couple of houses you're going to buy. I mean, goodness, Titus, we're going to have millions of dollars lost if we're paying cash for things. In fact, I would rather be an honest borrower at somebody else's bank than steal from myself by paying cash for things. And that's what you do when you pay cash. You steal from your future self. Okay. So the answer in my, in my moment here is fire your banker and take back control and become your own source of financing. Uh, so before I jump into how to do that, and there's a, that's a nice you know, esoteric idea, but how do we actually do that? Uh, before I jump into that, I got to believe there's at least one comment or question in there, Titus. I better hush for a minute. What are your thoughts so far? Yeah. You know, I think that, I mean, my question is how do you get somebody to, to overcome what is so scary right there? You're talking about a complete fundamental emotional and mental shift to how we're raised and conditioned uh, to respond. And so when you say that out loud, you know, um, there's this this calm that I think comes over me and maybe many of our listeners that says, well, that there's some sense in there, right? I mean, it's kind of like when you when you taste something and you go, is there garlic? Like I can taste the garlic. Like you know the ingredient. In this case, there's some peace. There's some there's some what I call making sense, common sense in that. But then there's the apprehension that says, yeah, but I've never had this kind of food before. So I, I've had garlic powder. But I haven't had this dish before, and I'm still scared because of the the change and the shift to my palate. So my question is, how do you reduce somebody's fear? Um, in many cases, uh, aware, greater awareness does that, right? But it, but you don't know what you don't know. How do you reduce someone's fear to take on and try something that's so fundamentally different to the adult human experience? Wow. Yeah. That that's the. That's the million-dollar question for all of us. How do we ever change anything? I guess um, through a number of factors. You know, I think our web of beliefs come from a number of factors. I mean, again, Titus, this is your area of expertise. I think, you know, maybe it's having positive mentors and guides and relationships that you trust. Uh, you know, listening to uh, you know a guide or a coach can help you overcome that fear. Um, you know, maybe let's take you know uh, the the idea of like trying a new sport or taking a, a leap off the, the high dive for the first time. It probably came from watching your friends do it. A little bit of peer pressure, a little bit of social proof, a little bit of coaching from your, from your coach, your diving coach, whatever. It really comes through a number of factors and anecdotal evidence, stories, success stories. Um, you know, but really, it comes down to tactics and have, having someone show you the way. Gandalf had been to Mordor before. you know, uh, He could show the way. So I think part of it is just having that guide that can give you that, that guide. Mark, I think we I think we just became best friends because you just made a Lord of the Rings <laughs> reference in the middle of very high, very highbrow conversation. Here, here's here's what I'm thinking though. Um, speak to this. I think that when a person and, and everything you said, I agree with. Um, and I ask those kind of questions because I've come to this conclusion in my life 
personally, professionally, spiritually on almost every subject matter that most of the time, it's not a lack of, um, of resources. It's more of a lack of resourcefulness, right? And it's not a lack of awareness because there's, and I can't even say their names because there's so much technology around me, but I'll, I'm going to see, hopefully noises don't go off, but there's a Google Alexa Siri. There, there's lots of ways to procure content information and, and strategies. And this podcast is doing that right now. What I've come to know to be true in life is the thing that gets in the way of our shift, our change, our success, and our significance is purely our commitment to both action and the consistency in it. Mm-hmm. But here's really what I'd love to have you help us with. One day somebody built a pool and maybe it was five feet deep. And somebody said, well, that's pretty cool. You can control what's in the water. It's cold. It's not muddy. I can see through it. You've overcome my fear of, I don't get in water because I can't see what's beneath the surface. Um, I really like this idea of a pool, um, but I really don't know how to swim very well. And then somebody said, well, gosh, that kind of defeats the whole purpose of the pool, right? And so then somebody one day said, well, if we made it to where there's a section that's only one feet and you could walk into it, right? If we made the entry point easier to get into, then possibly I would um, overcome, cha- deal with the barriers, right? So, so if I've not been there or if I don't get someone who's been there before, if Gandalf is busy, maybe he's on vacation, right? <laughs> he, yeah, he's going white. White Gandalf on us, right? He's on. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. on. Yeah, he's he's missing for half the movie. Yeah. So my question to you is: Is there an entry point? Is there a way? Yeah. Is there a is there a um, you know that that slanted part that's really yeah. really barely getting my feet wet so I can walk into it versus die from a moment ago? You said from the the high beam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How does somebody say? Can I can I try? Can I taste it? Um, can I go to the food court and have them try to? you know, give me the sesame before COVID they would hand out a sesame chicken for, to get mm-hmm. you to come buy the meal. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now I don't know if you can, if you can share food uh, with people, but you know what I'm saying, Mark, like, yeah. is there a baby pool side of the big pool? Yeah. How do we get folks that way to, to give it a go or am I crazy? Yeah. No, it's smart. Uh, you gotta, we've been talking esoteric. Let's bring it down the ladder. Let's go to the baby, you know, the baby pool, so to speak, or the, the waiting pool. I'll call it the waiting pool because we all start right there in the waiting pool. I did. Yeah. You know, when I had a mountain of student loan debt, uh, I didn't know what to do. I couldn't think straight. Every dollar my wife and I weren't spending on rice and beans every night was going toward our student loan payments. And, and I came to believe that that was the problem because again, when I spent money to pay off a debt in my 20s, when I was doing that, um, man, that's a valuable dollar. A dollar in your 20s is worth more than a dollar when you're in your 40s or 60s or whatever other age. Again, opportunity cost. So what we did to bring it down the ladder was we started to set money besides our checking account, outside of our savings account, and not toward our student loan payments. We started throwing money into another asset that could grow and was guaranteed to grow for me. It was accessible for any reason, and I could treat it like a bank for small things in life and big things in life. So we used it right away. Didn't realize that when we were setting it up, but we set, we used this asset to help my wife with a, a, a she broke her foot. So we used it for our health insurance deductible. And we used it for some uh, time when I was making a career transition. And we used it to pay off all of my student loan debts. And we used it to buy my car, all of our cars now at this point. And we're using it to fund and, and manage and grow our business. We use it to invest in real estate syndication deals. So you start out with small things, paying our, you know, uh, health insurance deductible. We went on a month-long vacation to Hawaii. 
Like, why would I pay cash for a vacation to Hawaii if I could be my own source of financing, pay myself that interest rather than having to lose the growth on that money for the rest of my life? Now, we used some old-fashioned financial vehicles, some old-fashioned whole life insurance that was designed for banking purposes, not for commissions, not for death benefit, but for banking purposes. It's a very special form of life insurance called bank on yourself, designed whole life. And because it was designed that specific way, we could treat it like a bank, like a line of credit to my family. And it helped me pay for the health insurance deductible, pay for the car. We bought our, our, our first actual car. You know, everything else was kind of like, you know, we took it from our high school days, basically. But our first car as a married couple, we bought through our, uh, through our policy rather than having to go to, you know, the auto dealer's financing operation. And we got to stay in control of that entire process. We controlled how we repaid our loan to ourselves. We earned interest from ourselves. We got to actually benefit on that trip to vacation, uh, that vacation to Hawaii. We actually made about 700 bucks profit off of our vacation. Now talk about that. a no guilt vacation, man, you know? Yeah. So it it doesn't have to be so esoteric that we have to bring down the banking system worldwide. Mm-hmm. It starts at the you and me level and it starts with something as simple as, you know, meeting your health insurance deductible or going on your next road trip vacation whatever. Uh, but it can happen and it is happening with thousands of people, hundreds of thousands all across this country. Uh, and you know, thankfully, I've been privileged to help many clients across this country, all 50 states to do the very same, to fire their banker become their own source of financing and find some financial sanity in the midst of chaos. I like it. Um, we're talking with Mark Willis right here on Solutions from the Huddle. We're going to take just a quick break and we got one, only one or two questions. Normally, we try to put a break in the middle. We put it kind of towards the end this time. Um, this show is powered by Collaborative Solutions Group and we've got some great partners that help the show happen. They help us make sure we can keep doing it so we can get folks like Mark to come in here and provide uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of insight and, and value, in my opinion. And, uh, and hopefully, when you hit the rewind button and you play it over and over and over, you'll know that my opinion it's probably closer to reality than you can imagine. But some of the uh, the, the companies that stand with us are, are Speedy Oil Change and MS Digital Solutions, Easy Living Technologies, Shepherd Law. I say them really fast because what I want you to do is just go to team-csg.com. That's team-csg.com. Click on the Solutions from the Huddle tab and take a look at all the different uh, companies. We make their logos clickable so that you can go and learn more about them. But we wouldn't stand with them if we didn't believe in them. And we're grateful that they stand with us. All right, Mark. So as we close out this show, just, just such a breath of fresh air, uh, so much great insight around money and around economics and around financial and in, in, environments. Um, I want to know, I don't want to ask, do you have a tip on a stock? Cause somebody's going to listen to the show three years from now and it'll be completely a moot point. Um, but I'd love to know, is there something that has stood the test of time right? Relative to an investment or relative to a cost saving measure. Maybe it's something tax related, right? I know that changes all the time too, but, but I know that there's so many things that are foundational relative to economics um, on the investment side, on the cost saving side, on the avoidance right side relative to taxes. And I know that a great um, certified financial planner uh, that's worth their salt has, has pounds of, of great tips. Could you give us just one or two granules as we close out the show on, on what 
what we might want to consider investing in or where we might want to consider cutting costs or avoiding unnecessary expenses. That's great. Yeah. And you're right about not giving investment advice over podcasts. That'd be a no-no. But uh, I can give some uh, some key tips that you could explore further to see if it's a good fit for you and your situation. You said stood the test of time and you said uh, some significant tax advantages. I want to return one more time to that idea of uh, bank on yourself designed whole life insurance. Now, before folks unsubscribe, please don't do that. Uh, again, <laughs> the power of this tool should not be overlooked. I was skeptical of it. You know, I was a Dave Ramsey fanboy um, right at the beginning of my financial journey, and he was all against whole life insurance. But this is a different type. It's categorically different. We call it bank on yourself designed whole life. The full name would be a, a paragraph, but I'll give you a, a few key tips. It's dividend paying whole life insurance, mutually held with paid up additions. And what it allows us to do is it is a 200-year-old financial vehicle in this country. So that's standing the test of time, in my opinion. And it grows on a guaranteed basis every single year outside of the stock market. It has nothing to do with Wall Street. It just grows predictably. You get a, you literally get a schedule when you get one of these policies. You get a schedule say, saying, here's what my net worth is going to be this year, next year, the following year, and all the way through the rest of your lifetime, up through age 121, if you make it that long. So that's that's a powerful tool in the tool belt. It's accessible cash. So I can use it for any purpose. We've talked about a few ways I've used my policies. And one thing we didn't touch on, Titus, but you brought up taxes. If it's designed correctly, again, if it's bank on yourself designed, you can access the cash value in these whole life policies with no taxes due ever. Wow. And that's a rare commodity in this day and age where taxes are going sky high and planning likely to go higher. You know, Most people I talk to think taxes are going up over their lifetime. So yeah, a tax-free financial vehicle that's liquid and accessible and guaranteed to grow. Oh, by the way, you can leave your family a giant legacy because it is life insurance. That sounds pretty compelling. Uh, I don't care what you call it. You know, call it, you know, call it a uh, Frodo Baggins if you want to, uh, because yeah. you know, as long as it's doing what I want it to do. Again, what do you want your money doing for you? And that's, I guess, what I'd like to leave your listeners with. We're talking with Mark Willis, lakegrowth.com. Check out the website, get to know a little bit more about Mark. Mark, what uh, what are the titles uh, of one or two of your books that you want folks to check out, right? Go to Amazon, go where books are sold and and maybe get a deeper perspective on some of this great insight. Uh, and, then, and then also, Mark, leave us with maybe, I already said lakegrowth.com, but give everybody a chance to, how do they continue this yeah. conversation with yeah. you beyond the podcast? Well, I'm a big believer in leaving people with just one step to take because we are so overwhelmed with more, more, more. We don't need more, 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 do we? We just need no. with, we need with yeah. in this day and yeah. age, we need more with. Uh, and I think being with other people who are along for the journey, uh, you can tag team with me, you can tag team with Titus, but you know, find your with. Uh, in this day and age, I think we need more with and more community. So go, yeah, you can go to lakegrowth.com and, and hop on my calendar right there to, to join up with me and uh, learn more about this. If you want to date me first, you can go to notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com. That's uh, where you can find that, that, uh, that podcast or just anywhere you're listening to this show. The show is called notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com. I love it. Hey, uh, thank you so much, Mark, for being on the program. We hope you'll come back again. Yeah. Yeah, please. I'd love it. Hey guys, Titus Bartolotta here with Collaborative Solutions Group. I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode of Solutions from the Huddle. 
If you want to hear more episodes and continue supporting our show, simply search for and subscribe to Solutions from the Huddle on any major podcast platform. Thank you again, and we hope you'll join us soon.